1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today, Chapter 18 from Mr. Stanfast, The Underground Railway. And now, our story. This is the story which I heard later from Mary. She was at Milan with the new Anglo-American Hospital when she got Blink-Iron's letter. Santa Chiara had always been the place agreed upon— and this message mentioned specifically Santa Giara, and fixed a date for her presence there. She was a little puzzled by it, for she had not yet had a word from Ivory, to whom she had written twice by the roundabout address in France which Bonemarets had given her. She did not believe that he would come to Italy in the ordinary course of things, and she wondered at blank certainty about the date. The following morning came a letter from Ivory in which he ardently pressed for a meeting. It was the first of several— full of strange talk about some approaching crisis, in which the forebodings of the prophet were mingled with the solicitude of a lover. "'The storm is about to break,' he wrote, "'and I cannot think only of my own fate. "'I have something to tell you which vitally concerns yourself. "'You say you are in Lombardy. "'The Shivagno Valley is within easy reach, "'and at its head is the inn at Santa Chiara, "'to which I come on the morning of March 19th. "'Meet me there even if only for half an hour. "'I implore you.' We have already shared hopes and confidences, and I would now share with you a knowledge which I alone in Europe possess. You have the heart of a lion, my lady, worthy of what I can bring you. Wake was summoned from the Croce Rosa unit with which he was working at Vicenza, and the plan arranged by blank iron was faithfully carried out. Four officers of the Alpini, in the rough dress of peasants of the hills, met them in Chiavagno on the morning of the 18th, it was arranged that the hostess of Santa Chiara should go on a visit to her sister's son, leaving the inn, now in the shuttered quiet of wintertime, under the charge of two ancient servants. The hour of Ivory's coming on the 19th had been fixed by him for noon, and that morning Mary would drive up the valley, while Wake and the Alpini went inconspicuously by other routes, so as to be in station around the place before midday. But on the evening of the 18th at the Hotel of the Four Kings in Chiavagno, Mary received another message. It was from me, and told her that I was crossing the stob at midnight and would be at the inn before dawn. It begged her to meet me there, to meet me alone without the others, because I had that to say to her which must be said before Ivory's coming. I have seen the letter since. It was written in a hand which I could not have distinguished from my own scrawl. It was not exactly what I would myself have written, but there were phrases in it which to Mary's mind could have come only from me. Oh, I admit it was cunningly done." especially the love-making, which was just the kind of stammering thing which I would have achieved if I had tried to put my feelings on paper. Anyhow, Mary had no doubt of its genuineness. She slipped off after dinner, hired a carriage with two broken-winded screws, and set off up the valley. She left a line for Wake telling him to follow according to the plan, a line which he never got, for his anxiety when he found she had gone drove him to immediate pursuit. At about two in the morning of the 19th, after a slow and icy journey she arrived at the inn, knocked up the aged servants, made herself a cup of chocolate out of her tea-basket, and sat down to wait on my coming. She has described to me that time of waiting. A homemade candle and a tall earthenware candlestick lit up a little salle à manger, which was the one room in use. The world was very quiet, the snow muffled the roads, and it was cold with the penetrating chill of the small hours of a March night. Always, she has told me, will the taste of chocolate and the smell of burning tallow bring back to her that strange place and the flutter of the heart with which she waited, for she was on the eve of the crisis of all our labors. She was very young, and youth has a quick fancy which will not be checked. Moreover, it was I who was coming, and save for the scrawl of the night before, we had had no communication for many weeks. She tried to distract her mind by repeating poetry, and the thing that came into her head was Keats' Nightingale. "'An odd poem for the time and place. "'There was a long wicker chair among the furnishings of the room, "'and she lay down on it with her fur cloak muffled around her. "'There were sounds of movement in the inn. "'The old woman who had let her in, "'with the scent of intrigue of her kind, "'had brightened when she heard that another guest was coming. "'Beautiful women do not travel at midnight for nothing. "'She also was awake and expectant. "'Then quite suddenly came the sound of a car slowing down outside.' She sprang to her feet in a tremor of excitement. It was like the Picardy Chateau again, the dim room and a friend coming out of the night. She heard the front door open and a step in the little hall. And she was looking at Ivory. He slipped his driving coat off as he entered, and bowed gravely. He was wearing a green hunting suit which in the dusk seemed like khaki, and, as he was about my own height, for a second she was misled. Then she saw his face, and her heart stopped. "'You!' she cried. She had sunk back again on the wicker chair. "'I have come as I promised,' he said, "'but a little earlier. "'You'll forgive my eagerness to be with you.' She did not heed his words, for her mind was feverishly busy. My letter had been a fraud, and this man had discovered our plans. She was alone with him, for it would be hours before her friends came from Shivagno. He had the game in his hands, and of all our Confederacy— She alone remained to confront him. Mary's courage was pretty near perfect, and for the moment she did not think of herself or her own fate. That came later. She was possessed with poignant disappointment at our failure. All our efforts had gone to the winds, and the enemy had won with contemptuous ease. Her nervousness disappeared before the intense regret, and her brain set coolly and busily to work. It was a new ivory who confronted her, "'a man with vigor and purpose in every line of him "'and the quiet confidence of power. "'He spoke with a serious courtesy. "'The time for make-believe is past,' he was saying. "'We have fenced with each other. "'I have told you only half the truth, "'and you have always kept me at arm's length. "'But you knew in your heart, my dearest lady, "'that there must be the full truth between us some day. "'And that day has come. "'I have often told you that I love you, "'I do not come now to repeat that declaration. "'I come to ask you to entrust yourself to me, "'to join your fate to mine, "'for I can promise you the happiness which you deserve.' "'He pulled up a chair and sat beside her. "'I cannot put down all that he said, "'for Mary, once she grasped the drift of it, "'was busy with her own thoughts, and did not listen. "'But I gathered from her that she was very candid, "'and seemed to grow as he spoke in mental and moral stature.' He told her who he was and what his work had been. He claimed the same purpose as hers, a hatred of war and a passion to rebuild the world into decency. But now he drew a different moral. He was a German, and it was through Germany alone that peace and regeneration could come. His country was purged from her faults, and the marvelous German discipline was about to prove itself in the eyes of gods and men. He told her what he had told me in the room at the Pink Chalet, but with another coloring. Germany was not vengeful or vainglorious, only patient and merciful. God was about to give her the power to decide the world's fate, and it was for him and his kind to see that the decision was beneficent. The greater task of his people was only now beginning. That was the gist of his talk. She appeared to listen, but her mind was far away. She must delay him for two hours, three hours, four hours, if not... "'She must keep beside him. "'She was the only one of our company left in touch with the enemy. "'I go to Germany now,' he was saying. "'I want you to come with me, to be my wife.' "'He waited for an answer, and got it in the form of a startled question. "'To Germany? How?' "'It is easy,' he said, smiling. "'The car which is waiting outside is in the first stage of a system of travel which we have perfected.' "'Then he told her about the Underground Railway.' "'not as he had told it to me, to scare, "'but as a proof of power and forethought. "'His manner was perfect. "'He was respectful, devoted, thoughtful of all things. "'He was the suppliant, not the master. "'He offered her power and pride, a dazzling career, "'for he had deserved well of his country, "'the devotion of the faithful lover. "'He would take her to his mother's house, "'where she would be welcomed like a princess. "'I have no doubt he was sincere, for he had many moods, and the libertine whom he had revealed to me at the Pink Chalet had given place to the Honourable Gentleman. He could play all parts well, because he could believe in himself and them all. Then he spoke of danger, not so as to slight her courage, but to emphasize his own thoughtfulness. The world in which she had lived was crumbling, and he alone could offer a refuge. She felt the steel gauntlet through the texture of the velvet glove. All the while she had been furiously thinking, with her chin in her hand, in the old way. She might refuse to go. He could compel her, no doubt, for there was no help to be got from the old servants. But it might be difficult to carry an unwilling woman over the first stages of the underground railway. There might be chances. Supposing he accepted her refusal and left her, then indeed he would be gone forever, and our game would have closed with a fiasco. The great antagonist of England would go home rejoicing, taking his sheaves with him. "'At this time she had no personal fear of him. "'So curious a thing is the human heart "'that her main preoccupation was with our mission, "'not with her own fate. "'To fail utterly seemed too bitter. "'Supposing she went with him. "'They had still to get out of Italy and cross Switzerland. "'If she were with him, "'she would be an emissary of the allies in the enemy's camp. "'She asked herself what she could do, "'and she told herself nothing. "'She felt like a small bird in a very large trap.' "'and her chief sensation was that of her own powerlessness. "'But she had learned Blank Iron's gospel "'and knew that heaven sends amazing chances to the bold. "'And, even as she made her decision, "'she was aware of a dark shadow lurking at the back of her mind, "'the shadow of the fear which she knew was awaiting her. "'For she was going into the unknown with a man whom she hated, "'a man who claimed to be her lover. "'It was the bravest thing I have ever heard of, "'and I have lived my life among brave men.' I will come with you, she said, but you mustn't speak to me, please. I am tired and troubled, and I want peace to think. We'll return to our story right after these sponsor messages. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corrient. "'As she rose, weakness came over her, "'and she swayed till his arm caught her. "'I wish I could let you rest for a little,' he said tenderly. "'But time presses. "'The car runs smoothly, and you can sleep there.' "'He summoned one of the servants, to whom he handed Mary. "'We leave in ten minutes,' he said, "'and he went out to see to the car. "'Mary's first act in the bedroom to which she was taken "'was to bathe her eyes and brush her hair. "'She felt dimly that she must keep her head clear.' Her second was to scribble a note to Wake, telling him what had happened, and to give it to the servant with a tip. "'The gentleman will come in the morning,' she said. "'You must give it to him at once, for it concerns the fate of your country.' The woman grinned and promised. It was not the first time she had done errands for pretty ladies. Ivory settled her in the great closed car with much solicitude, and made her comfortable with rugs. Then he went back to the inn for a second, and she saw a light move in the salle à manger. He returned and spoke to the driver in German, taking a seat beside him, but first he handed Mary her note to wake. "'I think you left this behind you,' he said. He had not opened it. Alone in the car, Mary slept. She saw the figures of ivory and the chauffeur in the front seat dark against the headlights, and then they dimmed into dreams. She had undergone a greater strain than she knew, and was sunk in the heavy sleep of weary nerves.' "'When she awoke it was daylight. "'They were still in Italy, as her first glance told her, "'so they could not have taken the Staub route. "'They seemed to be among the foothills, "'for there was little snow, "'but now and then up tributary valleys "'she had glimpses of the high peaks. "'She tried hard to think what it could mean, "'and then remembered the Margellana. "'Wake had laboured to instruct her "'in the topography of the Alps, "'and she had grasped the fact of the two open passes. "'But the Margellana meant a big circuit, "'and they would not be in Switzerland till the evening.' They would arrive in the dark, and pass out of it in the dark, and there would be no chance of succor. She felt very lonely, and very weak. Throughout the morning her fear grew. The more hopeless her chance of defeating Ivory became the more insistently the dark shadow crept over her mind. She tried to steady herself by watching the show from the windows. The car swung through little villages, past vineyards and pine woods, in the blue of lakes, and over the gorges of mountain streams. "'There seemed to be no trouble about passports. "'The sentries at the controls waved a reassuring hand "'when they were shown some card "'which the chauffeur held between his teeth. "'In one place there was a longish halt, "'and she could hear Ivory talking Italian "'with two officers of the bersagiri, "'to whom he gave cigars. "'They were fresh-faced, upstanding boys, "'and for a second she had an idea "'of flinging open the door and appealing to them to save her. "'But that would have been futile, "'for Ivory was clearly amply certificated.' She wondered what party was now playing. The Marjolana route had been chosen for a purpose. In one town, Ivory met and talked to a civilian official, and more than once the car slowed down, and someone appeared from the wayside to speak a word and vanish. She was assisting at the last gathering up of the threads of a great plan, before the wild birds returned to their nest. Mostly those conferences seemed to be in Italian, but once or twice she gathered from the movement of the lips that German was spoken, and that this rough peasant... "'or that black-hatted bourgeois "'was not of Italian blood. "'Early in the morning, "'soon after she awoke, Ivory had stopped the car "'and offered her "'a well-provided luncheon basket. "'She could eat nothing "'and watched him breakfast "'off sandwiches beside the driver. "'In the afternoon "'he asked her permission "'to sit with her. "'The car drew up "'in a lonely place "'and a tea-basket "'was produced by the chauffeur. Ivory made tea, "'for she seemed too listless "'to move, "'and she drank a cup with him. "'After that,' remained beside her. "'In half an hour we shall be out of Italy,' he said. The car was running up a long valley to the curious hollow between snowy saddles which is the crest of the Margellana. He showed her the place on a road-map. As the altitude increased and the air grew colder, he wrapped the rugs closer around her and apologized for the absence of a foot-warmer. "'In a little,' he said, "'we shall be in the land where your slightest wish will be law.' She dozed again, "'and so missed the frontier post. "'When she woke, the car was slipping down "'the long curves of the Weiss Valley "'before it narrows to the gorge "'through which it debouches on the Grunwald. "'We are in Switzerland now,' "'she heard his voice say. "'It must have been fancy, "'but it seemed to her that there was a new note in it. "'He spoke to her with the assurance of possession. "'They were outside the country of the Allies "'and in a land where his web was thickly spread. "'Where do we stop tonight? she asked timidly. "'I fear we cannot stop. Tonight, also, you must put up with the car. I have a little errand to do on the way, which will delay us a few minutes, and then we press on. Tomorrow, my fair one, fatigue will be ended.' There was no mistake now about the note of possession in his voice. Mary's heart began to beat fast and wild. The trap had closed down on her, and she saw the folly of her courage. It had delivered her bound and gagged into the hands of one whom she loathed more deeply every moment, whose proximity was less welcome than his snake's. She had to bite harder on her lip to keep from screaming. The weather had changed, and it was snowing hard, the same storm that had greeted us on the call of the swallows. The pace was slower now, and Ivory grew restless. He looked frequently at his watch, and snatched the speaking-tube to talk to the driver. Mary caught the word, "'Saint Anton,' "'Do we go by St. Anton?' she found voice to ask. "'Yes,' he said shortly. "'The word gave her the faintest glimmering of hope, "'for she knew that Peter and I had lived at St. Anton. "'She tried to look out of the blurred window, "'but could see nothing except that twilight was falling. "'She begged for the road-map, "'and saw that so far as she could make out "'they were still in the broad Grunwald Valley, "'and that to reach St. Anton "'they had to cross the low pass from the Stobthol. "'The snow was still drifting thick.' "'and the car crawled along. "'Then she felt the rise as they mounted to the pass. "'Here the going was bad, "'very different from the dry frost "'in which I had covered the same road the night before. "'Moreover, there seemed to be curious obstacles. "'Some careless wood-cart had dropped logs on the highway, "'and more than once both Ivory and the chauffeur "'had to get out to ship them. "'In one place there had been a small landslide "'which left little room to pass, "'and Mary had to descend and cross on foot "'while the driver took the car over alone.' Ivory's temper seemed to be souring. To the girl's relief, he resumed the outside seat, where he was engaged in constant argument with the chauffeur. At the head of the pass stands an inn, the comfortable hostelry of Erd Kronig, well known to all who clamber among the lesser peaks of the Stubthol. There, in the middle of the way, stood a man with a lantern. "'The road is blocked by a snowfall. he cried. "'They are clearing it now. It will be ready in half an hour's time.' Ivory sprang from his seat and darted into the hotel. His business was to speed up the clearing party, and Herr Kronig himself accompanied him to the scene of the catastrophe. Mary sat still, for she had suddenly become possessed of an idea. She drove it from her foolishness, but it kept returning. Why had those tree trunks been spilt on the road? Why had an easy pass after a moderate snowfall been suddenly closed? A man came out of the inn-yard and spoke to the chauffeur. It seemed to be an offer of refreshment, for the latter left his seat and disappeared inside. He was away for some time and returned shivering and grumbling at the weather, with the collar of his greatcoat turned up around his ears. A lantern had been hung in the porch, and as he passed Mary saw the man. She had been watching the back of his head idly during the long drive, and had observed that it was of the round bullet type, with no nape to the neck, which is common in the fatherland. Now she could not see his neck for the coat collar, but she could have sworn that the head was of different shape. The man seemed to suffer acutely from the cold, for he buttoned the collar round his chin and pulled his cap far over his brows. Ivory came back, followed by a dragging line of men with spades and lanterns. He flung himself into the front seat and nodded to the driver to start. The man had his engine going already so as to lose no time. He bumped over the rough debris of the snowfall and then fairly let the car hum. Ivory was anxious for speed, but he did not want his neck broken and he yelled out to take care. The driver nodded and slowed down, but presently he had got up speed again. If Ivory was restless, Mary was worse. She seemed suddenly to have come on the traces of her friends. In the St. Anton Valley the snow had stopped, and she let down the window for air, for she was choking with suspense. The car rushed past the station, down the hill by Peter's Cottage, through the village, and along the lake shore to the Pink Chalet. Ivory halted at the gate. "'See that you fill up with petrol,' he told the man. "'Bid Gustav get the daimler and be ready to follow in half an hour.' "'He spoke to Mary through the open window. "'I will keep you only a very little time. "'I think you had better wait in the car, "'for it will be more comfortable than a dismantled house. "'A servant will bring you food and more rugs for the night journey.' "'Then he vanished up the dark avenue. "'Mary's first thought was to slip out and get back to the village, "'and there to find someone who knew me, "'or could take her where Peter lived. "'But the driver would prevent her, "'for he had been left behind on guard.' She looked anxiously at his back, for he alone stood between her and Liberty. That gentleman seemed to be intent on his own business. As soon as Ivory's footsteps had grown faint, he had backed the car into the entrance and turned it so that it faced toward St. Anton. Then very slowly it began to move. At the same moment a whistle was blown shrilly three times. The door on the right had opened, and someone who had been waiting in the shadows climbed painfully in. Mary saw that it was a little man and that he was a cripple. She reached a hand to help him, and he fell onto the cushions beside her. The car was gathering speed. Before she realized what was happening, the newcomer had taken her hand and was patting it. About two minutes later, I was entering the gate of the Pink Chalet. Thanks for joining us for Chapter 18 of Mr. Standfast by John Buchan. Next week, Chapter 19 and The Cage of the Wild Birds. If you enjoy these episodes, please do send us a review for 1001 Stories for the Road. We love to get reviews, and here are a few recent ones for you. Excellent when the story is good. Five stars. I loved both Tarzan's, Huck Finn, and some others, but it seems the worst choices are also the longest. How many more weeks is Mr. Stanfast going to drag on? So little real plot development comes through on books like this one when it has to be chopped up into like a thousand pieces. When reading it for yourself, stories like Standfast can be good because you can devour it at a pace fast enough to make it enjoyable. But really, this one's been dragged out far, far too long into too many small bits. But thank you for your overall effort, sir. You are to be commended for your work. Down from Guitar Bird, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, can't wait till Monday, five stars. I used to not be a big fan of Mondays for the usual reasons. Now it's become one of my favorite days. It's the day the 1001 podcasts come in. I'm subscribed to them all. Your voice is very pleasant, and I really enjoy most of the books and stories that you read. And I am a big fan of Anne of Green Gables at 1001 Greatest Love Stories. Thank you so much for your podcast. Down from Evbex, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, great work, five stars. Thanks for the great story added with the spice of your voice and tone. These stories help me relax from all day work and stress. All the very best for you podcasting. Hope more from you. Bye. Down from A Keen Listener, Apple Podcast, India. And this one, Simply the Best Storyteller, five stars. John has the best collection of stories and classic books to listen to. Great voice and true to the original book. Irish Gal, 333, Apple Podcast, US. And Simply the Best. I wait for each week's installment like a little kid waiting for Christmas. What a great podcast. Down from Philip D.A., Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, my favorite of all podcasts. Great stories, read by the best. Five stars. Down from Mark Snayett, Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, five stars, Sherlock. Fantastic. Down from KKNGOKAS, Apple Podcast Denmark. And this one, ten out of ten, five stars. I really enjoy the good old classic stories as well as the great narration. Keep 'em coming. Down from Man from the North, Apple Podcast Canada. Thank you all so much for taking the time to write these reviews. It helps new listeners find us, and we appreciate them very, very much. And to that first reviewer, this story's been heating up pretty well, huh? and I'm finding it extremely enjoyable, and, I, and I'm glad I stuck with it. And I know our listeners are too. <laughs> but it's a great story, very well written. Everyone, please take care, stay safe, and we'll be back next Sunday night with Chapter 19, The Cage of the Wild Birds. See you then.